Holy Father, our Father and God in heaven, Father, we thank you for another day of life and breath, for air in our lungs and a heart that beats. And Father, today, in spite of myself, may I be a blessing, not a curse to your people. This church has invested great means for me to be here. So Father, in spite of myself, may they be blessed by the preaching of the word today. So Father, I ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. May mind, heart, and deed be touched by the preaching of the word from this weak man. We ask that you do something special today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God has raised the United States of America for a specific, special, positive purpose to contribute to world civilization. In fact, notice what Inspiration says in Maranatha, page 193, paragraph 4. This is the purpose of the United States of America. Inspiration says, the Lord has done more for the United States than any other country upon which the sun shines. So God has done more for this nation than any other nation on earth, including Israel. Here he provided an asylum for his people where they could worship him according to the dictates of conscience. God designed that this country should ever remain free for how many people? All people to worship him in accordance to the dictates of conscience. So the purpose of why God raised the United States of America was a haven for religious liberty where people could worship however they want as long as they are not endangering public safety. God has raised this country as a special testimony of an institution where church does not influence politics and politics and government does not influence the church. In fact, the first mention of the United States is found in Revelation chapter 12, verse 15. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 12, 15. This is the very first mention of the United States of America. The Bible says this, And the serpent, who is Satan, cast out his mouth water. We know that water represents heavily populated area, peoples, multitudes, and tongues, according to Revelation 17, 15, and Proverbs 18, 4, a flood of ungodly men. Water as a flood, after the woman, we know that the woman represents who? The church, Ephesians 5.25, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So this heavily populated area seeks to destroy God's church with peoples, multitudes, and tongues, various nations seeking to destroy God's people. But something helped the church. And the earth, or a unpopulated area, helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallow up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So God raised North America as a haven for escape from Europe, which was in a church-state merge system. Whenever you merge church and state, persecution and intolerance happens. And also in a personal application, whenever we feel like things are breaking apart in our personal lives, whenever we think that things are surrounding that we are so overwhelmed by trial, God always provides a way of escape and a way of refuge. As God does that prophetically with the church, God seeks to do that with us personally in our everyday lives. And so God raised up North America, where the Pilgrim Fathers bravely came through to North America to escape religious persecution. But what would ultimately happen to this nation of religious liberty? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 13, 11, and I beheld another beast coming out of that same earth, unpopulated area, 
and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So this nation with Christian principles of choice, because God is a God of choice and not a force, because God is love, will have a guise of these principles, but will speak as a dragon. Question, what does the dragon represent? That is a correct answer, but there is a deeper correct answer. Notice what the Bible says Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. The Bible says this, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and they cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to deliver for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Question, does Satan personally come to kill people, yes or no? Satan uses people or governments, is that correct? What government was used to try to kill Jesus when he was born? pagan Rome. And notice, to speak as a dragon could be that power will speak as the power of pagan Rome. In fact, the spirit of prophecy confirms this. Notice what inspiration says in Great Controversy, page 438, paragraph 2. Inspiration says this, the line of prophecy in which these symbols are found begin with Revelation 12 with the dragon that sought to destroy Christ at his birth. The dragon is said to be Satan, but it was that moved upon Herod to put the Savior to death. But the chief agent of Satan in making war with Christ and his people during the first centuries of the Christian era was the Roman Empire, in which paganism was the prevailing religion. Thus, while the dragon primarily represents Satan, it is secondary since a symbol of pagan Rome. So this lamb-like beast that speaks as a dragon will speak as though of pagan Rome. Now, why is it pagan Rome? If you look at the history of pagan Rome, Rome first began as a republic. A republic is where the people elect representatives to represent them in law. So Rome started out as a republic, just like the United States. But then Rome would then expand and become an empire. And it's interesting, as it expands as an empire, it would be in debt Heavy debt because of foreign wars. Sounds familiar? It would also be in heavy debt because it would start to support a welfare class within the nation. So it would be heavy debt. And also it would suffer a severe moral decline. The family will be disintegrated. Immorality of all sorts of licentiousness will be permeating all throughout society. In fact, during this time when Rome's moral decay would happen, the government instituted what's called breads and circuses, entertainment, theater, to pacify the population from not realizing how bad society is. In fact, you had gladiator games, the MMA and the NFL of that time. Sorry, NFL football fans. So you had all sorts of things that you see in the past that are repeat in the present. And because society was decaying so much, and because society was disintegrating in Rome, it would secede to a Christian religion and ultimately give way to the papacy of a system of church and state. So from a republic to an empire to that of church and state, so to the United States started as a republic. It is now expanded into an empire in debt with foreign wars. It is going through a moral decline in society. 
We see it all around. Society is pacified with the entertainment to be distracted what's really going on. But ultimately, it was to see to a system of church and state. So that speak as a dragon is history repeating in the context of pagan Rome transferring into papal Rome. And that is the type of history that we are faced as a nation today. So what does the lamb-like beast that speaks as a dragon do? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 13, 15. The Bible says, says this, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So the image of the beast, the beast power is this, the beast power, its image, is a merger of church and state. And this lamb-like beast will cause or force many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And so this dragon voice, notice what inspiration says, Great Conference, page 442, paragraph 1. The prediction that it will speak as a dragon and exercise all the powers of the first beast plainly foretells a development of the spirit of intolerance and persecution. Are we in a period of intolerance here today? If you're a Democrat, you hate a Republican. If you're a Republican, you hate Democrat. If you're a Democrat, you think uh, a Republican's racist. If you're a Republican, you think a Democrat's socialist. We have wide polarization here today, intolerance. That was manifested by the nations, represented by the dragon and leper-like beast, and the statement indicates that the authority of this nation is to be exercised in enforcing some observance which shall be an act to the homage of the papacy. Now, I want to say here, notice that this beast power is seeking to cause or force people to worship the image of the beast. What makes the mark of the beast, mark of the beast, is not Sunday worship by itself. Are you ready to stone me? The mark of the beast is not the mark of the beast because it's Sunday worship by itself. What makes the mark of the beast the mark of the beast is forced Sunday worship. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. So our Catholic and evangelical friends do not have the mark of the beast at this time. Amen. It is when forced Sunday worship happens is when this dragon-like, lamb-like beast will fulfill its prophetic order. So how will we reach that point? Notice the sequence. Morals will decrease. Are we seeing a moral decline here today? We see a moral decline since the 1920s. It's 100 years. In the 1920s, you had the flappers. You had the jazz age. You had loose morals. You had partying. You had the roaring 20s at that time. Morals were declining at that time. Then you had the 1960s with the sexual revolution and secular humanism all devolving to the disco age, to the hip-hop age, to the rock and roll age, and to we have today. So we see a moral decline in the last 100 years. Also, the increase of natural disasters. Do we see that? We've seen that since the 1980s, that more and more natural disasters become fearsome and, and disastrous. And the question is, are the insurance companies ready to sustain and help rebuild? Do they have enough funds? No. And that'll lead to a decrease in temporal prosperity. In other words, the economic situation of the nation will decline because of the debts that we cannot sustain. And so the decline of morals, the rise of natural disasters, and then the decline of temporal prosperity, economics, because if you don't have money, you cannot live. 
will cause people to be so desperate that they would want anything to solve their problems and ultimately lead to forced worship, a forced day of rest. You see, a liberal, a conservative, a spiritualist, a hippie, an evangelical Christian, when you take away their basic needs, they will listen to any type of solution to make things better. And so we are in a situation leading up to this situation where no matter what political persuasion you are in, either to the left or to the right, this situation will come through. Because God's prophetic eye tells us that this is going on. Now, prophetically, there are two great powers according to Daniel chapter 11. Time will not allow me to uh, completely articulate this. I will do my best to give you a crash course. You have two powers. You have the king of the south that represents Egypt, and you have the king of the north that represents Babylon. The king of the south represents Egypt, and we know that in the last days, Egypt will not be a major power, so it has to be symbolic. And we know that through Daniel 11 through 8 and 9, that Egypt is a spiritual power, and when we study the life of Egypt, according to Leviticus chapter 18, Egypt represents what's called secular humanism. In other words, we don't need God to live a better life. We could do whatever we want. We could live however we want. We could live however we please. This power is warring against the king of the north, which represents Babylon, which represents papacy, which represents a power that will seek to merge church and state. So two powers, the king of the south and the king of the north, are warring together. And who's in the center? Seventh-day Adventists. You see, in these last days... We cannot afford to openly align with ourselves to one political party to another because both sides are doing the ends of the enemy to institute the destruction of religious liberty. So how does the king of the south do? What does the king of the south do? What does the ultra-left, what are they doing? In October 11, 2019, we had one Democrat candidate, Beto O'Rourke, he said this, that if Christian churches and if Christian schools and institutions do not adhere to accept LGBTQ and say anything hostility towards same-sex marriages, then they should get their 501c3 or nonprofit taken away. So that's from the left. It gets further. When the same-sex marriage happened in the Supreme Court, Chief Justice John Roberts said this. He said this in a dissenting opinion. Notice, hard questions arise when people of faith exercise religion in ways that may be sent to conflict with the new right to same-sex marriage. When, for example, a religious college provides married student housing only to opposite-sex married couples, or a religious adoption agency declines to place children with same-sex married couples. Indeed, the Solicitor General candidly acknowledged that the tax exemptions of some religious institutions will be in question if they oppose same-sex marriage. This is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. There's little doubt that these and similar questions will soon be before the court. Unfortunately, people of faith can take no comfort in the treatment they receive from the majority today. This happened in 2016. And because of this, what happened in the left, in the left seeking to persecute Christian values, the right sought to assert itself. In fact, in ancient Israel, the left, the pagan Roman Empire, sought to threaten the existence of the Jewish nation. And what did the Jewish nation do? Notice the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 48. This is the 
meeting of the Sanhedrin. I will let him thus alone. All men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So the Jewish nation was afraid that the secular left of the Roman Empire will take away their nation. And how did the Jewish leaders do? What did they do? Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. In other words, just like in Christ's day, when the secular Romans sought to take away the Jewish nation, the Jewish leaders said that we would like to preserve our nation. And so we will sacrifice our principles. We will sacrifice Jesus so that our nation could be saved. So too in the last days, the evangelical Christian right will seek to take out liberty of conscience away from the people and to establish a Christian religion and who will be crucified will be God's people in the form of persecution. In fact, notice what Desire of Ages, page 590, paragraph 2 says. Desire of Ages 590, paragraph 2. Inspiration says this, but today in the religious world, there are multitudes who, as they believe, are working for the establishment of the kingdom of God as an earthly and temporal dominion. They desire to make our Lord the ruler of the kingdoms of this world. The ruler in its courts and camps and its legislative halls, its palaces and marketplaces. They expect him to rule through legal enactments enforced by human authority. Since Christ is not now here in person, they themselves will undertake to act in his stead to execute the laws of his kingdom. And so because of the fear of the left, the evangelical right is seeking to use government to protect its interests by persecuting the left, both the left and the right are seeking to persecute one another. So what is the safeguard that God has established where government does not intrude in religious and religion would not intrude in the church? Notice what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 11. Do you know that Israel, although it was a theocracy, exercised the separation of church and state? Notice what the Bible says. And behold, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all the matters of who? Matters of the Lord. And Zedaliah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the who? King's matters. Is the king political? Is the matters of the Lord religious? Notice they're separate. The chief priest is over the matters of the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, are the matters of the king's matters. In other words, there was a separation. The king would have no involvement in the religion of the sanctuary service of the Hebrew economy. Likewise, the priests had no involvement with the Jewish political system at that time. So we see here a separation of church and state. That was God's order. So God desires a separation of church and state. And what does inspiration say? Notice what Great Conversy, page 442, paragraph 2 says. The founders of the nation wisely sought to guard against the employment of secular power in part of the church with its inevitable result in tolerance and persecution. The Constitution provides that Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and that no religious test shall be ever required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Only in flagrant violation of these safeguards to the nation's liberty can any religious observance be enforced by civil authority. So God established the First Amendment in this nation where we are free to worship power we want, the free exercise clause, and that no religion can establish a state-sanctioned religion, the establishment clause. 
You see, the left is seeking to inhibit our free exercise of religion. The right is seeking to establish a religion in the guise of government. Notice what's going on. Time Magazine, August 15, 2016, we see our current president is seeking to undo what's called the Johnson Amendment. Now, the Johnson Amendment prevents churches from openly aligning themselves like political action parties to support a presidential candidate. Now, some of you said, what's the big deal of this? Notice what inspiration says. Notice what great controversy, page 493, paragraph 3 says. So the Johnson Amendment says that churches cannot openly give political money and donations to a political candidate. But notice what the great controversy says, what happens when money is given. The dignitaries of church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel all classes to honor the Sunday. The lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments. Political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the what demand? Popular demand. If you have a bunch of voters wanting a Sunday law, what's going to happen with the politicians? They will want it. Popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance, literally a conscience which was cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. That's why we have a president here today that listens to evangelicals. Why? Because of votes. They voted them in. And politicians love power, no matter what votes or no matter how contradictory they are to their values. And so what's going on? On October 11, 2019, the Attorney General of the United States, in the official capacity of the Attorney General of the United States, gave a speech in Notre Dame University. Now, William Barr, in the official capacity of the Attorney General, this was printed in the Department of Justice website, and honestly, I read his speech, he had a lot of good things to say. But he says very, something very interesting. Notice, if ever there was a need for resurgence of Catholic education and more generally religious-affiliated schools, it is today. I think we should do all we can to promote and support authentic Catholic education at all levels. So we see here that someone in the official capacity of the United States is favoring one religion over another. And how do evangelicals view our president? Notice, January 13, 2020, before Trump's speech, several evangelical leaders laid their hands on the president and prayed for him. Apostle Gomero Maldonado, the pastor, prayed that Trump would fulfill his role as a new King Cyrus, the Old Testament Persian ruler that released the Jews from captivity and allowed them to build Jerusalem. You know, evangelical eschatology has significance about Jerusalem. They believe that this president will allow that restoration of Jerusalem to happen, but we know that that's a red herring in these last days because there's no prophetic significance of Jerusalem. And we see here that the pieces are being set for this great crisis. And in fact, notice, a couple months ago, November 8, 2019, President Trump appointed Paula White as his longtime spiritual advisor to join the White House staff. Her role will primarily be to solicit input from religious groups on White House initiatives and to maintain Trump's strong ties to religious leaders who support him. So in other words, the evangelical Christians have a direct influence on all laws and agenda of this current president. 
We live in some very interesting times. Either from the left, we see persecution. In the right, we see persecution. And so what do we as Seventh-day Adventists do? We should trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. In fact, notice what the Bible says in Psalms 118, verse 9, as I bring some final points. It is better to trust in the Lord than put in the confidence in princes. It's better to trust in God than politicians. Politicians will fail us, but God will not fail us. In fact, notice the inspiration says in Great Conference, page 445, paragraph 1. When the leading churches of the United States, uniting upon such points and doctrines as are held by them in common, shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions, then what America? Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy and the infliction of civil penalties upon descendants will inevitably result. The image of the beast represents that form of apostate Protestantism which will develop when the Protestant churches shall seek the aid of civil power or the government for the enforcement of their dogmas. The mark of the beast still remains to be defined. In other words, are we seeing here Protestant churches seeking to aid the civil power here today? Yes or no? We're seeing it right before our eyes. The great controversy is alive right before our eyes in real time. If people have any doubts on the great controversy, tell them to read the great controversy and compare it to current events. I don't care if it's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. That will all conclude that Ellen White is a true prophet. It is the religious right that will ultimately defeat the secular left. Now, I'm not making any predictions for 2020, but all these Christians that are afraid of this culture war that these secular humanists are going to win, there's nothing to fear. Because at the end of the day, the evangelical Christian right will win according to Bible prophecy. So what did Jesus do when asked if he was asserting political power as a king? As I bring some final points. Jesus answered, this is when Jesus was accused of starting a political revolution in Israel by Pilate. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. And would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Likewise, we as Seventh-day Adventists must declare our kingdom is not of this world. We are looking forward to the great superpower nation of the land of the free, home of the brave, the kingdom of heaven. The true superpower nation that will last forever. And so what does inspiration counsels us in these days of political divisiveness? Gospel Workers, page 391, paragraph 2. The Lord would have his people bury political questions. On these themes, silence is eloquence. Christ calls upon his followers to come into unity on the pure gospel principles which are plainly revealed in the word of God. We cannot with safety vote for political parties, for we do not know whom we are voting for. We cannot with safety take part in any political scheme, either to the right or to the left. So what does Jesus ask us to do? So I bring some final points. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you know when Jesus was about to die? 
It was the Pharisees who were the nationalists and patriots of Israel that wanted to make Israel great again. And it was the Sadducees who were the globalists who supported Roman globalization, collaborated and arrested to kill Jesus. And so we should not fall to the ditch to the right, to the left. We should focus on carrying our cross and to vindicate God's character in these last days. So what is the work that God is seeking us to do in these last days? Notice what the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says this, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set liberty to them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, it is a healing message coupled with a prophetic message. And so Jesus did not let political opinions get in the way of how he ministered. He did not align with the zealots or other groups to overthrow the Romans, nor did he curry favor with the religious leaders. He healed the son of a Roman centurion. He healed a Canaanite woman. He ministered to tax collectors, to prostitutes, to lepers, and to outcasts. He ministered to the powerful, such as Simon, the Pharisee, and Nicodemus. So too, we as Seventh-day Adventists have a message that reaches whatever political persuasion and whatever social class, and God is calling us to do that mission here today. We have a health care crisis, but we have medical missionary work. LGBT issues, we could demonstrate loving Christian Adventist homes of a model heaven-on-earth marriage here by demonstrating beautiful marriages to show the LGBT community what a true Christian home is. With the issue of racism, we have the everlasting gospel that preaches to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And this congregation is an example that there's no color walls because we're united by the everlasting gospel of Jesus. For homelessness, we can offer job training for sustainable living. For abortion, we can invest in the neglected ministry of orphanages. Establish orphanages as a better alternative for an abortion. Instead of waiting for the government to pass whatever law, we could be proactive and establish orphanages to show people that life is important, that we will take care of these lives and show them better Adventist homes. It could be also a ministry of evangelism. We could reach liberals and the ultra-left with our vegan health food restaurants. And we could also reach the left with our sustainable country living ideas. God has a message for us to reach all people. And for the conservatives, we could show them that we adhere to the law of God, that we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, that we believe in family values, that we believe in being just and honorable and orderly in society. And so God has given us the message to reach the left and to the right, but if we succumb to partisan politics, we destroy our influence. And God desires us to be separate from the world, prophecy over politics. And so what assurance does God's end time people have? Notice Revelation 15 verse 3, the final text. The Bible says this. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having 
the harps of God. Victory is assured for us as the end time people. Who does the beast represent? The beast represents the papacy. We will get victory over the principles of the papacy. What is the image of the papacy? Church and state. We will get victory over the persecuting power of church and state. What is the mark? That is the fourth day of worship. We will gain victory over that oppressive law. What is the number of his name? It is his character. It's a character of force and coercion using government means to try to manipulate where the ends justify the means. We will gain victory over that system. And God is calling you and I to be Adventists in these last days to do a special work. You know, a lot of young people here today is into social justice. This so-called woke generation. But you know, the social justice that we can appeal to our young people is religious liberty. Religious liberty for all people, even for the Muslim, even for the Buddhists, even for the atheists. You see, A.T. Jones also advocated for religious liberty for all people In Civil Government Religion, pages 53 and 56, he even said that we must advocate for the religious liberty of atheists, our champion religious liberty. And so, like the three Hebrew boys, when there was an image, state-sanctioned, established, forced worship image that was established, a violation of the Establishment Clause, the three Hebrew boys stood up against Babylon. When Daniel stood up against the Medes and Persians because his free exercise of religion was violated. So too in these last days, God is calling you and I to stand up for religious liberty so that all people can make a choice out of love to accept Jesus and not a force. But we cannot properly give the message if we succumb to partisan politics. God is calling us to vote for the party that matters, which is the party of heaven, which is the kingdom of heaven. You see, today, we are faced with the election in 2020, and people are afraid of the outcome. But as long as we vote for Jesus, we will be okay. And God is calling us to vote for him today, to do a special work today, to reach the Democrat, to reach the Republican to reach the LGBT, to reach the straight, to reach whatever nationality, no matter whatever caste, no matter what race, God has given us the message to penetrate whatever prejudice, whatever barrier that is given by this earthly world because our message can penetrate any heart. And God is calling us to be free from partisan politics. Our Father and God in heaven, Father, forgive me for this feeble message. But Father, we thank you for the blessings of religious liberty. And Father, today, I just ask that we as a people no longer entangle ourselves into partisan politics, but focus on you to do that special work. And brothers and sisters, as I heads up out and eyes are closed, is there someone today under the sound of my voice saying, Father, today, I want to reach all people regardless of their political background, regardless of their race, regardless of their ideas of persuasion, use me to use the third angel's message and power to reach whatever people. If that's your desire, I ask that you stand for this commitment if that's your desire. Saying, Father, today, I do not want to use partisan politics to damage my influence, 
but I want to reach all people to finish your work in these last days. I am standing with you, brothers and sisters. Father in heaven, I am standing and your people are standing. Today we vote for you and help us to vote for you every day from here on to eternity. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. We ask that you do something special in our ministries to even be more urgent and more fervent and more loving to a sin-dying world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you are blessed by this presentation from Revelation of Hope Ministries. Revelation of Hope Ministries is a faith-based, nonprofit, worldwide evangelistic ministry whose mission is to increase the population of heaven by sharing the hope, health, and harmony of heaven in all the world. This ministry depends upon the prayers and partnership of supporters like you. We ask that you please prayerfully consider partnering with us to take the message of Christ into all the world in this generation. For more information about this ministry or to invite Revelation of Hope Ministries to your church or event, please visit our website at revelationofhopeministries.com. That's revelationofhopeministries.com. Or call us at 1-844-Y-HOPE. That's 1-844-W-H-Y-H-O-P-E. Aloha and Maranatha.